Hi everyone and welcome to lesson 13 of our Sabbath School commentaries. This is focusing on March 19 to 25 and it's entitled Let Brotherly Love Continue. My name is Erin Keegan and I'm speaking to you from the central coast of New South Wales. So this week's lesson is all about Hebrews 13 1 where Paul affirms in his whole book that we are part of the household of the high king priest Jesus and we are his brothers and sisters. Paul doesn't say that we're saved as a group of individuals who work on their salvation in a one-on-one relationship with Jesus but rather that we are a family or a household saved together corporately. So Paul characterizes the work of Jesus for us to do as this concept of brotherly love. Believers should do for one another what Jesus did for them. Throughout the book of Hebrews, brotherly love includes exhorting one another so that no one falls short of the grace of God. It took hospitality, visiting and supporting prisoners and those who've been mistreated, honoring marriage, avoiding covetousness and remembering and obeying the leaders of the church and even praying for the writer of the book himself. So in Sunday's lesson, it talks about 1 Timothy 3 verse 2. And I just want to read this one to you. It says, so a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. There's that concept of hospitality and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome and not love money. He must manage his own family, having children who respect and obey him. If a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? So in the concept of caring for God's people, and then later in the week, we unpack this concept of hospitality and for our leaders, praying for our leaders as well. Christianity was in the early days quite dependent on the hospitality of both Christians and non-Christians because it was wandering around. So the instruction to not forget to show hospitality is probably not, you know, the failure to remember it, but about willful neglect. So Paul does not only refer to hospitality for fellow believers, but he says by entertaining strangers, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And this is a thought that takes us right back to Genesis 18, where Abraham and Sarah are visited by the three men who tend out to be. So when we offer hospitality, it implies this concept of sharing possessions with other people, also suffering with them, because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Brotherly love towards those in prison is not only that believers remembered prisoners in their prayers, but also that they provided materials and emotional support to really action that attempt to relieve the struggles. It wasn't simply a, I'll pray for you, but it was willing to get their hands dirty. We've had the privilege of seeing a lot of our churches up in the northern end of this conference really get their hands dirty on Sabbath and during the week with the flood relief for the victims of those massive floods at the beginning of March. So in terms of prisoners, yeah, showing material and emotional, providing, sorry, material and emotional support to show them that they are not abandoned. And I would just challenge us to consider what more can you and I do 
for those who are in prison, whether they are church members or not. Monday's lesson refers to covetousness and sexual immorality. And I just want to read Hebrews 13 verse 4, which is one of the key texts in this day's study. It says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. So Paul warns the readers against sexual immorality and greed because these are two grave threats to brotherly love. So Paul's call to honor marriage implies avoiding anything that will belittle it. And I don't know about you, but how many movies there are out there that pull down the idea of marriage and do not attribute it to the sacred union that God intended it to be. When God created it, there was an order of which things happened. You you got to know someone, you developed a friendship with them, and then you dated. And then you started courting and got engaged, and then you were married, and then you slept together, and then you had kids. And if you can name two secular movies that have those things in the right order, like our media fuels our thought processes that it's so normal to sleep together before marriage, and even that the intimacy within a dating circumstance just places God's ideal for marriage um, way out of the ballpark as Satan fills our fills our minds with feelings of guilt and shame, even when you haven't crossed that that line of sex. And I'm just so challenged by the fact that maybe the line in the sand is not sex at all. Maybe it's kissing. Maybe it's laying down together late at night when Satan just wants to start you down that slippery slope that you really don't want to have to put out. So here, Paul is on it, asking us to honor the marriage bed, keep it holy and avoid anything that will belittle it. The Bible talks about not giving the devil a foothold. And I really believe that we can put healthy boundaries in place that protect our hearts and the hearts of the person that we're dating in case it doesn't end up in marriage and that we would have a relationship founded on respect and honor and integrity and that we would experience fullness and abundance of life that John talks about in chapter 10, verse 10 of the Gospel of John. The devil seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. That's really all that he's interested in doing in our relationships. So seeking to stay as far away from that as possible and instead have really edifying interactions with each other is what will what will honor the marriage bed, what will glorify God at our weddings, not making jokes that belittle the concept of marriage or poke fun at the sacredness of it. So really believers should not be letting social conventions establish our own ethical standards. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. So not being afraid to stand up and stand out. And to be honest, that ends up being a very attractive quality to the right person. It goes on to talk about uh, the love of money as the root of all evils. And a defense against this advice is being content with everything that they have. Paul says, I've learned to be content in all situations, whether I've got a lot or nothing at all. My satisfaction and my joy is not rooted on something that can change as easily as possessions. Christians should believe and embrace that God's promise to never leave them or not forsake them can give them this deep 
underlying current of peace in their lives that's not going to fade as quickly as the grass withers and fades. So just can, I, w- I want to ask you to consider what are some of the ways that society today undermines sexual purity? We've unpacked some of them now. And what are some ways that you can avoid that? For me, before I dated my now husband, God had already convicted me that I needed to stop watching romantic comedies which previously I loved. I thought they were super harmless and a lot of fun and a great chick flick was such a, it seemed like such a logical way to spend a night or an evening with the, and yet what that was doing was setting me up to have false expectations of how my one day husband would interact and, and how I would respond to him. And what I learned is that reality is actually way better than what Hollywood produces. And I had such a, Reese palette for dating and courtship and the importance of that once taking them out of my life. At the same time, what are the ways that society feeds the love of money? Always needing to keep up with the Joneses, never really having enough. And then letting us to consider as well, what are some practical ways we can strengthen our defenses against these two dangerous vices. Uh, We really need to dedicate wanting to purify ourselves from these two things to prayer. It's something that if you try and overcome by yourself, you're going to fight an uphill battle the entire way. But really, remember, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against evil powers and the demons of the unseen world. So there is a much bigger spiritual battle going on here. I would really encourage you to agree on boundaries with the person that you're dating, if that's where you're at in life as you're reading this. I would really encourage you in terms of money to faithfully give tithe, which is a 10% of your income back to God, and then give offering and then share generously to others. That will help reduce the feeling that everything that you have belongs to you. Actually, everything that we have belongs to God. He only asks us to give back 10% so that it reminds us that it all comes from him anyway. And then for me, I'm a registered nurse. We work shift work wherever possible. I swap off shifts on the Sabbath and I accept any other shift in the week, Sundays, Tuesday nights, whenever it is. And I found that in my experience, God really honored that. And I found it very easy to swap off shifts in the public health system. So yeah, knowing that there's penalty rates on the Saturdays can make it a very attractive option. But what was more important for me was going to church and really staying connected and rooted to my spiritual support network there. Going through to Tuesday, Hebrews 13, 7 to 17, it asks us to respect and obey the leaders of the congregation because when the leaders care and are faithful to the flock that has been entrusted to them under the great shepherd of the sheep, which is Jesus, and then the members obey and trust their leaders, this results in a very harmonious congregation. Just understanding that they are accountable first and foremost to God, that it's not to us that they first have to answer to and God will judge and also he puts people in positions for a time such a time as this that's when Esther was called to be in that position so each leader we have something to learn from their skill sets are different to the person before them the person after them and really to respect and obey those who are in charge of the flock 
Wednesday touches on this concept of diverse and strange teachings. It goes down the path of uh, food, I guess, in Hebrews 13 verse 9. Let me read it to you from verse 8. This is familiar. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Finish it with me today and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. Remembering here that we're talking about where is grace obtained. So I am a nurse. I'm also a lecturer at Avondale University. And one of the units that I teach focuses on health promotion. And by that, it's referring to lifestyle medicine, how people can strengthen their lifestyle and make decisions in the things that they eat, their exercise, what they drink, how long they sleep at night, being outside in the sun, having balance and temperance and all things, that that actually drastically increases the quality and quantity of life, reduces morbidity and the risk of disease. But that is not what gets us into heaven. The only thing that gets us into heaven is Jesus. What Jesus wants us to do is live a fulfilling and a full life here on this earth and to witness for him. And it's challenging to do that if your health is first and biggest priority and you're flat on your back and too sick to get up and go and minister and evangelize for him. So Ellen White makes this beautiful statement and it says, I wish I could provide you the quote, the, I wish I could provide you where I got it from, but type it into Google. Ellen White has this beautiful quote in SDA Encyclopedia, which says, a clear mind enables us to understand God's will and a strong body enables us to do it. Just such a powerful concept there of this is where God wants us to look after our health so that we can understand his will for our lives and communicate clearly with him when we have a diet that and a, what we eat and what we drink is full of sugar. It clouds and impairs our judgment. It enfeebles the body. And it's not just sugar, it's fatty foods, it's junk foods, it's caffeine, alcohol, cigarettes, all of those things that are preventing us from living our fullest life possible. God provided for us the blueprint for perfect health back in the Garden of Eden when he created mankind before sin existed, before death and disease existed, and we were designed to live forever. So open your Bibles and go back to Genesis 1 and 2 to figure out how to look after your bed, your body in its optimum state so you can have that clear mind and that strong body. Thursday's Sabbath school lesson talks about going outside the camp to find Jesus. So the place outside the gate was normally the most impure of the whole camp. That's where sacrificed, that's where animals were sacrificed there. And also lepers were excluded to outside of those boundaries. Jesus was sacrificed on the cross outside Jerusalem. That's where um, the crucifixion took place. He was officially condemned there as one who had blasphemed the name. It was shameful. It was unclean and it was indecent to be cast outside the camp the way that Jesus was. However, Paul encourages believers to follow Jesus outside the gate and endure that same shame that he did. So the action of following Jesus outside the camp means not only bearing his reproach or shame, but also going forward to him. This is spoken about in Hebrews 13 
verse 13 again. So Paul invites readers to follow Jesus as the author and finisher of their faith, but also really explicitly invites them to consider our present sufferings today to be a momentary discipline that yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. We see this come through in Hebrews 12, 11. Therefore, let us leave behind the corrupted cities or camps or wherever it is that we are and just be in search of the city that is to come, living for eternity now. Some discussion questions to finish off. So our Christian lives are often considered um, to be our personal individual relationship between Jesus and ourselves. However, this we've just found out is one aspect only of the Christian life. What are our responsibilities to the wider group? How can we let brotherly love continue? What does that look like when the rubber hits the road? In the context of hospitality, visiting and supporting people who are in prison, honoring marriage, avoiding covetousness, remembering and obeying the leaders of the church, what does that look like for you and I in real life? And then my second question is, what are the best indicators that brotherly love is strong in your church and in your congregation? Guys, let me pray for you. Father, it's such a privilege to open your word together from wherever we are as we're listening to this, Lord. We are united through prayer and through reading your word. We just thank you, Father, for the access to such great counsel and advice that we see inside your Bible. Thank you that you address issues within society that can really benefit the world as a whole, but also the communities that we live in, the congregations that we belong to. Father, these are really practical. And when we see fractions within our churches, it's because these are not being valued or obeyed. Lord, if there are things that we can do better in our own personal lives, please bring them to the forefront and help us to shape um, our time to be better spent. Help us to be good stewards of our funds, Lord, that we would be able to be a blessing to those in need and not just accumulate wealth for ourselves to sit on and pay the mortgage off faster. Father, open our tables once again to being hospitable. COVID shut us all down for a little bit, but now we're coming out the other side of that and that's no longer hindered. So Father, as people come into our living rooms again, may they know that our homes are a safe place. May you be the name that is on our lips and may all who come into contact you want to accept and believe in you that you are indeed their personal savior and you long to see us in heaven with you for eternity. Praise you God for this chance to do this study together in your precious and holy name. Amen.